you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, weirdos, it's Rachel. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that the sound quality might sound a little different from our usual episode, which you guessed it, is because you're about to hear part two of our live show, which was on June 14th at Caviar in New York City. We had so much fun. It was our third sold-out show in a row, and we would love it if you joined us next time. A few things to note before you listen to part two. You may hear us reference a drinking game because there was a drinking game, and we will put the rules on popsidecom slash weird. We encourage you to play along as long as you are allowed to drink according to the law, wherever you are, and that where you are is not behind the wheel of a moving vehicle. We may also mention visual aids, and we promise we'll link to anything relevant or just especially hilarious on popsidecom slash weird, but we made a lot of Photoshop jokes, so like, it's not all going to be in there. Sorry, you should just come to the next live show. Just one more thing before we get into it. I'm sad to say that after this, there will be just one more episode of The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week. For this season. Sorry. That was very mean. Don't worry. We will be back in the fall, recharged, rested, and ready to serve you the weirdest facts yet. In the meantime, keep leaving us those gorgeous five-star reviews on Apple, which we appreciate so much and which help other weirdos find the show. You can also send us voice messages on the Anchor app or the Anchor website. And we will definitely be doing another season break bonus episode featuring some of your favorite weird facts sent via voice message. So please send them. Also, feel free to get in touch on Twitter at weirdest underscore thing or via voice message if you have ideas for a bonus episode. You might remember in the break between season one and season two, we compiled a bunch of data about what had gone on in Weirdest Thing and whether weird body horror stories or weird animal stories were more likely to win, etc. If you like that, let us know and we can totally do it again. Or if there's some other breaking format Weirdest Thing show you think would be awesome, 
give us a shout and we will give you credit when we do it. And it's great. Okay. So like I said, we will be back next week with one more show. But for now, sit back and enjoy part two of our latest evening at Caveat. At Popular Science, we report and write dozens of science and tech stories every week. And while most of the stuff we stumble across makes it into our articles, we also find plenty of weird facts that we just keep around the office. So we figured, why not share those with you? Welcome to The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week. I'm Rachel Feltman. I'm Corinne Iosio. I'm Jess Bodie. Thank you. So on The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week, we start by offering up some kind of little tease about some kind of fact or story we found in the course of reading, writing, reporting, being fascinating people. And then we decide which one we absolutely have to hear more about first. Then once we've all had time to spin our little science yarns, we reconvene and decide what the weirdest thing we learned this week actually was. Jess, would you like to start with your tease? Oh, I would. There's this really weird thing where in the early 20th century, you could buy eyeglasses for your chicken from the Sears catalog, but they were not to improve your chicken's visual acuity. That's all I will say. Shocking. Right? I would have thought they were reading glasses for the chicken. That right. Would my one first would step. think. One would think. But. Corinne, how about your tease? My tease is that there was once a time where there was an organization called the Intercollegiate Guppy Swallowing Association. (laughs) Cool, 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 cool. Um, Totally normal. Great. (laughs) Somebody in the audience just said hard pass. Yeah, audibly (laughs) appalled, I would say. Um, My tease is that I have the story of a man who literally couldn't stop eating and the story of how it drove him to do unspeakable things. <laughs> and as great as that reaction was, Jess, something just tells me that we need to start with your fact. That's interesting. Not like we had what a slideshow plan. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> so, chicken eyeglasses. First, I want to thank my friend Claire Gilman, who just mentioned chicken eyeglasses in casual conversation and sent me down this crazy rabbit this hole. This is why this show works. Is totally. because we're these people totally. who have these conversations. Exactly, exactly. So, okay. First, we're going to travel back to 19th century Great Britain. It is 1842, and Queen Victoria is obsessed with chickens. British explorers that year returned to her with seven Cochin China fowl, also sometimes known as Shanghai chickens. That's these. And I also want to say wow. that... Wow. Yes. They're um, very fluffy. I love that the ones on the left, the description is buff cochins, which, which refers, work to, out. It refers to the color, thick. I would like to say. But they also Dumb just like, thick, look ripped. Say, right? <laughs> but they were obviously so big and beautiful, she was very obsessed with them. She built them, this giant decked out aviary. She would sit in there and like drink her tea like a great British royal. Well, and to interrupt briefly, because on the weirdest Please. thing, we always have to talk about how zany the victorian era was of course for people who don't know queen victoria was like the pop star of her day and anything she was into because she was like a young queen she was unmarried when she took the throne right so anything she was into swept not just the nation but the continent she invented white wedding dresses because she just liked the color white she thought she looked good in it because her husband was austrian yes Yes. she she brought Christmas trees out of the Austrian German world, just like anything she was into, mm-hmm. people loved. And so chicken. It's funny you should mention that, Rachel, 
Really? Because she loved chickens so much that she bred these cochins in her aviary and she sent the eggs to all of her royal friends and family. And then they had chickens. They were like, oh my God, (laughs) we love chickens. And then the general public was like, yo, Queen Victoria loves chickens. We love chickens. (laughs) So it swept not only... Europe and Britain, of course, but also into the Americas. Soon, you know, now that everybody knew about chickens, everybody was infected with hen fever. (laughs) This was a real term. It's not a deadly disease, but it just means that you like really love chickens. It was like Like any other love chickens. Like really, really. I would love to see this version of reefer madness. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Hen fever. And soon enough, Americans did also have. Hen fever, and that kicked off in 1849 when the first poultry show came to Boston. 10,000 people attended to see all of the chicken breeds. And this is really when hen fever became truly pandemic. And before all of this, farmers were really not into chickens, and they pretty much thought they were lowly and useless, and they didn't even record them as property in their farm inventory. But according to a National Geographic story on this craze, written by a writer named Emmeline Rood, who is basically a chicken historian, she's written an entire book on this, She says, poultry fanatics found themselves spending $1 on a single egg or up to $120 on a pair of fowls. And that's the equivalent today of $30 per egg and $3,600 for a pair of birds, which seems unfathomable to me personally. And I already spend a lot of money buying eggs in New York. So, (laughs) and as those shows continued, there's still a thing in North Oxford, Massachusetts, these quote unquote hen men which sounds like a terrible subreddit that I don't ever want to read. I'm going to leave that one blue. <laughs> so these hen men started breeding their own chicken lineages, and one of these is the Brahma hen, which is that chicken that was like that big chicken meme a few years ago, where this hen like steps out of the coop, and nobody thought it was real. They were like, this is a man in a suit. This is not real. But it's a real chicken bred from hen fever. They were two and a half feet tall. What hath man wrought? I mean, he's like walking upright. It's It's pretty scary. And I've read that if you were to like pluck and cook the chicken, it would feed a family of four. For how long? (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, you know, as chickens became more of a thing in the U.S., their eggs became cheap and available. We started eating them more. And an editorial in the New York Times in 1854 called them a great, quote-unquote, thinking food, and that they were just a great, practical, excellent outcome of hen fever. And for that reason, when it comes to hen fever, the editorialist for the Times said the country should let it rage. (laughs) And boy, did we. (laughs) Today, there are a handful of breeds people use for farming, with regard to chickens. Most grocery store eggs come from leghorn chickens. How do I laser point? Leghorn chickens and the Rhode Island red. Oh. So along the way, farmers and chicken enthusiasts kept having this weird issue in their coops, though. And that issue was cannibalism. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's fucking terrifying. That's right. Yeah, right? It's like staring through my soul. If I was another chicken, soul. I would be, I would not like that. No. I don't like it, and I'm a giant human. It's, re- it's, it's, so. it's a bigger effect when it's on this large How long screen. is this slide going to be up? For a long time, Corinne. <laughs> and we're going to come back to it later. <laughs> so, yes, chickens are bloodthirsty. Cute. Um, they become enraged at the sight of blood, and then they just 
peck and peck and peck until their chicken associate is a <laughs> is a lifeless bloody pulp of its former self and okay so this does make sense evolutionarily hens in the wild when they were to hunt lizards or insects or that kind of thing they would know okay like that thing's injured go after it or you know i've pecked this thing it is bleeding i'm going to continue to peck it until it dies so i can eat it and that makes sense but obviously that it causes some trouble in domesticated coops especially because chickens do peck each other to establish the pecking order which is like the order of dominance and sometimes that turns bloody and then things get out of hand <laughs> and while we're on the topic of chicken blood i can't not bring up circus geeks Wow, we got some geeking fans out there. Love to see it. So the, a geek show in a circus was an act where a person, usually it was like an opening act, where a person in a ring would chase around a few chickens, and then when that person caught a chicken, they would hold it and then bite its head off with their teeth and then eat the head. Which, you know, good, clean American fun. If it's good enough for Ozzy. True. <laughs> True. And it also inspired one of my favorite Onion headlines, which is, pregnant circus geek, now biting heads off chicken for two. Oh, we love it. We love it. Anyway, back to cannibal chickens. It's obviously a problem, and it does usually happen when hens are unhappy. So their temperature is too hot or cold, their diet is deficient in some way, or they don't have enough space all concerning things that would stress you out. And farmers were concerned. There was unrest in the coop. They were losing chickens, just a bad time all around. And instead of improving their animals' living conditions, they turned to eyeglasses. So prepare yourselves for this slide. (laughs) So these were patented in 1903. They, so this first one on the left was just, that was the first patent and it was meant to just prepare or protect rather the eyes from another chicken pecking. But the later iterations, so there was also ones that were like blinders on a hinge. So standing up, the chicken couldn't see forward. And the idea is there that the chicken needs to see to like have a target and peck and to see the blood. But then when they would bend down to eat their grain, it would like lift up so they could look down, but not straight ahead. It's so elaborate. It is so elaborate. It is hysterical to me. And so then these rose-colored ones, and earlier when Jason was looking at my slides, he said the one on the top right looks like Bono. I can totally see it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. So these rose-colored ones are meant to just make everything look red so that the chickens can't see the blood. It just disguises the color of blood. So they did work, apparently. But you also have to, like, affix them. So you can see on the bottom right, there's, like, a little pin. So the way that you affix them, sometimes you just hook them in the nostril of the beak. But other times you would, like, essentially pierce the septum of the chicken. Yeah, not, it's not super chill. And in the 90s, one inventor made rose-colored contact lenses for chickens. He was a little bit weird, (laughs) if you couldn't tell. He kept a jar of all of his failed lenses on his desk, and there were hundreds of them, and one of his employees said they looked like jelly beans, which is really weird. And they didn't catch on, one, because, like, nobody wants to put a contact lens in a chicken's eye. 
And also the chickens like went blind. They were clearly uncomfortable. They would like peck the air. It was just not a good situation. Today, people just use a red light bulb in the coop because of course, because duh. And the Penn State College of Agricultural Sciences also suggests feeding chickens a handful of fresh greens every day, like weeds or clover grass, because more fiber will keep their gizzards full, making them more content and less wily. That's true for me as well. I am, yes, yes. And it also helps to get out their energy in a large enclosed chicken run that helps lower their stress. So... That's my chicken fact. I love chickens. I think I have hen fever now. And let it rage. Okay, we're going to take a very quick break because I let chickens go over because I have hen fever too. So we're going to take a quick break and the music should start and then we're going to be right back with some more facts. back and Corinne look at that arrow is great speaking of geeking I think you have something about people swallowing some guppies yeah it's it's kind of a situation so I'm gonna start with a story that happened in April 2016 a 28 year old fellow checked himself into the ER at Erasmus University Medical Center in Rotterdam and what he told the doctors was that he was having a lot of trouble swallowing and his throat just generally felt swollen and it will become relevant later that he was also drunk and, like, high the f*** off his ass. And the A ENT- medical term. Yes. <laughs> so the ENTs examined him, and they discovered that this young gentleman had been catfished. And I mean that quite literally. They snaked an endoscope through his nose, and they discovered, as the case study authors wrote in their paper, quote, a fish-like structure. I wonder what that could be. I I have no idea. It's so strange. So they gave him a CT scan, and behold, there was a approximately three-inch obstruction right near the guy's larynx, and it had some, you know, protuberances as if to be fins. Hmm. It was this guy. I'm sorry. I know. It's a pet catfish scooped at the prime of his life straight out of an aquarium. And when presented with this information, our drunk and high friend managed to jog his memory and figure out how the f*** this thing got in his throat. (laughs) He and his friends were having a good time. Apparently, this is something they would do often. And one by one, going around the room and scooping goldfish out of their aquarium, swallowing the goldfish whole, and then going on to the next guy, and the little slippery suckers just go right down. Eventually, all slippery sucker. (laughs) Eventually, all that is left is this catfish, who is the largest one of the group. And what happened was one friend tried to swallow the catfish, and it jumped back out and started flopping around on the coffee table. But our hero, not to be outdone, takes a slug of beer, picks up the fish, throws it back. Fish is gone. He then starts to cough. He then takes some more beer. He's acting as if this fish has perhaps gone down the wrong pipe because apparently there's a right pipe for a live fish to go down. (laughs) There's retching and vomiting. There's beer. There's blood. And again, for some reason, they don't go to the hospital right away, and they leave enough time that he has completely forgotten that this incident has happened. (laughs) 
So the reason that this was particularly terrible is a defense mechanism that a catfish has. When you stress a catfish out by, you know, I don't know, shoving it into your mouth when it's still alive, there are these spines in its dorsals and its flippers that go rigid. In the wild, this is a defense mechanism. It's like, yo, predator, get off. Please back the hell away from me. But if you're just a drunken idiot, it has the effect of lodging the fish deep inside your throat. No, thank you. Yes. One of the doctors commented that the Corydaris aeneas, which is the scientific name for the common domestic aquarium catfish, is, quote, not a good choice for a drinking game. <laughs> so I ask, naturally, well, what exactly is a good choice for a drinking game? Maybe? <laughs> True. I think so. Different kind of goldfish, though, but one of the study authors did tell Live Science that perhaps goldfish would be a little bit slipperier and might have been a better plan, as if that was still... It's just, I, it seems like the wrong situation to be like, kids, if you're going to do it, right? <laughs> do it in the house and with a goldfish. So, but unfortunately, the notion of swallowing goldfish is something that the internet already knows quite well. There is something called the goldfish challenge. That is exactly what it sounds like. Swallow a live goldfish, record it on video, and post it on YouTube to impress your friends or something. Most popularly in recent memory is our very own darling, lovely Stevo, who gulped two guppies in live video, only to vomit them back up, still alive very shortly thereafter. They lived, right? <laughs> but the thing about it is, is that people have been doing this particular breed of nonsense for over 80 years. I introduce to you Lorthrop Withington Jr. That's the name of a man who swallows fish, if ever I heard one. In 1939, our friend Lorthrop was a freshman at Harvard University. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, right? This is an image from a story in Life magazine. Seems what happened was Lorthrop had been bragging to his buddies, as college boys tend to do, that he had once swallowed a goldfish after seeing someone do it while he was on vacation. And his friends said, cool, I will give you $10. He gave him $10. He swallowed the fish. But it's kind of hard to figure out where exactly our friend Lorthrop saw this initially. There are some reports about people in the 1920s watching bartenders do this just as kind of like a stunt to try to push drinks. There's one guy in Chicago who used to do a hand fake and switch the fish with a carrot because, you know, similar color and then do the chewing thing and then the stupid patrons would also then try to swallow the fish. But that's as early as we can go of people intentionally swallowing fish for sport. Before that, we know, though, that people did this by accident quite a bit. There is a paper published, a literature review from 2017 from the Cleveland Clinic. And they found that fishermen and other people accidentally ingest live fish at a semi-alarming rate. They found 75 individual case studies, things like there was a priest swimming, taking a little dip in a lake, and he opened his mouth, and in went a fish. Apparently, An act of God. Right? <laughs> there are a reverse yeah. Jonah, if you will. 
<laughs> there are fishermen who apparently need free hands, so they decide the best place to hold a live fish is in their lips, and the fish wiggles and slides in. And there's also one story of a fisherman who was so pleased with his first catch that he gave it a celebratory kiss, and apparently his mouth was open, <laughs> and in went the fish. If you're going to kiss a fish, like, don't French it. Just, <laughs> just like a little... Just a little cheek That's all he smooch. deserves. Yes. But unfortunately, these, these are all good explanations. There is absolutely no explanation for Lorthrop or what happened after he became famous for swallowing this fish. It started a collegiate guppy swallowing frenzy. It's like the Tide Pod Challenge, but with living things. It's, it was just a really great idea. So this swept around very, very quickly, and it became very competitive. It was sort of everybody trying to one-up each other, swallow more fish than the previous person. Like a one fish, two fish, what in the actual f*** is wrong with you fish? (laughs) There was someone at Penn State swallowed 23 in one sitting. Someone at MIT swallowed 42. And we know this because this was governed by the rules of the Intercollegiate Guppy Swallowing Association. And there were rules. The fish had to be at least three inches long, and you had to keep them in your stomach for at least 12 hours. There is no vomiting. And, you know, breaking some ceilings. This is Marie Hansen. (laughs) She was the first woman to compete. The only fish swallower I respect. Good for her. Look how happy she is. She's so happy. She was a student at the University of Missouri School of Journalism. The highest count that I've been able to corroborate is from Clark University. Someone downed 98 fish in one go. And I was horrified because I just was appalled and just very curious and worried. Like, there are no reports of people getting really sick. I did find one story, though, that cited a doctor at UCLA who said that he did the math and the adult male stomach can safely hold approximately 150 live goldfish. The human body is incredible. <laughs> but that, the fad, fortunately, only lasted for the 1939 year. It still happens today. Like we said, the aforementioned goldfish challenge. It's a common hazing ritual on college campuses. There's a big St. Patrick's Day party at Kobe College in Maine where people swallow live goldfish. It can also get you arrested. And on PETA's bad list, they've obviously come out against this. There's a kid... This guy swallowed two goldfish, was then fined 200 pounds and banned from owning animals for a year. And our friend with his headline in The Sun had been one of Margaret Thatcher's pallbearers, (laughs) won two fish at a county fair, and promptly drank them. What a connection. A scandal. It's completely absurd. But So as if the fear of the law wasn't enough, or bacteria, or tapeworms... You know, I just, if I need to continue to deter people, I'm going to, because this is now my life's quest. I mean, people, there, a not insignificant number of people go to the ER with live eels in their butts. Yes, this is also so a true statement. I'm not surprised that people continue to swallow live goldfish. Yes. But I just want to sit here and take this last minute to implore everyone to just think about the fish. I have so many questions. What happens to a fish when you swallow it live? If I have a stomach full of water, did I just make like a really dark, strange fishbowl that he's going to hang out in? If I had a couple margaritas, does it turn into ceviche? (laughs) What exactly is going on? 
and so the Cleveland Clinic paper helped me figure out some of this. First of all, the fleshy parts of the fish break down very quickly in the human body. So if you're one of the unfortunates who has tried this and gotten something stuck, it will probably wear itself out, not physically, but just your body will break it down rather quickly and you'll be able to pass it or somebody can reach in and yank it back out. But if the fish does make it into the digestive tract alive, it's not terribly pleasant. As we swallow things, there's peristalsis through our throat that's kind of squeezing him, so he's getting this weird little like massagey hug thing on the way down. (laughs) Makes it to the stomach. Cool. Stomach full of water. Great. Safe zone. No. 98.6 degrees is a little bit warm for a goldfish. You're not going to cook it. But what's going to happen is water at that temperature doesn't dissolve oxygen very well. So the fish can't breathe. And then there's the stomach acid, which obviously is gross. But the biggest problem is our digestive enzyme pepsin, which has the sole job of breaking down proteins and what is fish made of. It's an excellent source of protein and (laughs) omega-3s. So while this fish is down there alive... Sorry, were you making the case for not swallowing live goldfish? No. Yes, don't swallow the live goldfish. There are pills for that. So he's down there, and he's like, cool, I'm still in the water, I'm alive. But there's not enough oxygen in this water, and every time he tries and struggles to breathe, he's actually sucking in poison that is just going to kill him faster. It's really sad. I found one biologist who gave an estimate to a publication called The Independent. He said at max, a fish can probably survive for five minutes in this environment, which is how Steve-O's came back out. Still flopping and loving and loving. And being like, F*** you, dude, I win. (laughs) If you have a stomach full of alcohol, however, as we all know, it can actually have an anesthetic effect. It will chill the fish. He'll just kind of pass out and, you know, go on his his own bleak, dark, internal end. But he won't be feeling... that good night. He won't be feeling, fortunately, any pain. So if you're going to do it, I guess the beer is probably the best plan, but I'm just going to really ask everyone to not swallow their pets. (laughs) Reasonable. (laughs) Uh, A hot take. Yes, the hottest take. (laughs) A bold stance on goldfish swallowing. Thank you. And we're going to take a very quick break, and then we'll be back with one more fact. happen fast. So it's time for one more fact. It's time for my fact. And I promised the story of a man who literally couldn't stop eating, just a very hungry boy, and how it drove him to do unspeakable things. So. (laughs) Oh my God, Rachel, there weren't slides when we were practicing this yesterday. (laughs) Hold on to your butts. So hunger, we all experience it. In 1772, a man now referred to only as Terrar. That's how the internet told me it's pronounced, but I don't speak French, so if I'm wrong, f*** you. <laughs> I tried. He was born in rural France. We don't know if that was his real name or just a nickname. This is how he is referred to in all the literature we have. He was reportedly pretty average, except for one thing, his appetite. Terrar was a hungry boy. He could eat a quarter of a cow by the time he was a teenager, even though he himself weighed only 100 pounds or so. And if you're like, why not a whole cow? Like, it, a cow is a lot. 
And uh, allegedly, you know, a lot of this is hard to verify, but according to scholars who were writing about him in the 1700s, his family kicked him out because they couldn't feed him. They were like, you are literally eating us out of house and home. You've eaten the cows. You've eaten the house. Please leave. And so he set off to make his own fortune and find his own food. He kind of got in with a bunch of ne'er-do-wells. He was a Parisian street performer. And he made a pretty decent living eating gross amounts of stuff and also just plain gross stuff like corks, rocks, whatever he could find, anything he could swallow that would impress people and make them throw money at him. And that went pretty smoothly, except for a few instances of bowel obstruction, which he ended up in the hospital for. But life was just kind of rolling on for Terrar through his teen years as a showman. And let's pause to emphasize that Terrar, despite eating everything he could find, was not overweight. Reports say he was actually pretty waifish. They say he had very pale skin and very fine, light hair. And in fact, the only unusual thing about him was that he had an abnormally wide mouth in which his teeth were heavily stained and on which the lips were almost invisible, to which I say, like the Babadook? Except blonde and French. So now that we have that visual, apparently his body also had lots of sagging excess skin to accommodate his gaping maw and also his post-meal belly distension. So he was a, a very thin, I'm, you know, not unusually thin, just like a normal-sized guy, even though he was eating what sounds like probably tens of thousands of calories a day, and he was not Michael Phelps. Man was not swimming laps to burn that off. So, okay, you have an image of him in your head and on the screen. <laughs> this is staying on for a while, by the way. I don't have a lot of imagery for Terrar, so, and I spent an embarrassing amount of time putting this beret on the Babadook. <laughs> Omelette du fromage. On the outbreak of the War of the First Coalition, Terrar joined the French Revolutionary Army because, I guess, he wasn't getting enough to eat as a street performer. But military rations could not satisfy him. Even though he apparently became very conscientious and did a bunch of chores for the other men in the army so that they would give him some of their rations, he was still, like, eating scraps. And he actually ended up in the military hospital with, like, malnutrition and exhaustion. Eating even more than the average man, he was acting as if he was being starved to death. And in the hospital, he was given quadruple rations, but he was still found scavenging for garbage. And then they even found him in the infirmary taking like the herbal poultices, like the smashed up herbs and medicinal plants that were placed on people's wounds. And he was just eating them. He got more desperate later. Let me tell you what. It gets dark. There's one. Wait, it's not dark yet? No. Oh, okay. So there's one anecdote in the medical literature about a time when his doctors, they had been like restraining him. You know, they were trying to keep him on this restricted quadruple diet. And he just was always escaping and trying to eat more food. And so they decided once that there was this meal set out for like 15 laborers who were supposed to be eating at the end of a day of hard physical labor. And they decided they just weren't going to restrain him. And he ate it all. It was a two giant meat pies meant for 15 men, four gallons of milk, and several large dishes of grease and salt. <laughs> Which Delicious. in uh, 18th century France, I guess, was, you know, a, a condiment. It's what I had for lunch. Like eating it's a fine. bowl of ketchup. 
And then he just fell asleep. He was pretty content until he woke up and was hungry again. According to one doctor's report, he was known to swallow a live eel once. He probably could have eaten many hundreds of goldfish. So many hundreds. So many goldfish. (laughs) There is one report, and I don't know how true this is, because like 18th century doctors, I can't ask them. (laughs) But he allegedly once was handed a live cat while hungry, tore it open, drank its blood, ate its guts. Would make a good circus geek. Yes. He would have been a fantastic... I mean, that's basically what he was doing uh, as a street performer. He was the original geek, I would say. And according to the doctor, he then, like, puked up just the bones and the fur like an owl. (laughs) Which sounds absurd to me, but on the other hand, I've never watched a human eat a whole live cat. So, like, maybe that is what we would do if we ate a whole live cat. I don't know. So dubious, sure. But what's more dubious is that doctors were all like, other than his appetite, he's really of sound mind. He's a a perfectly normal man, except for (laughs) all of this eating a cat. He was never put in an asylum. They were just like, yeah, it's a real shame that this totally normal guy just keeps eating live cats in front of us, which just says a lot, I guess, about the 18th century in, in France. And in fact, he was made a spy by the army. Very briefly, he was not very good at it. So some combination of him having this idea and then people in the army, you know, hearing about his talents led to the suggestion that he could swallow military secrets and take them across lines. So he demonstrated that he could swallow a wooden box containing a letter and then, you know, reproduce it at a later time. And a general who was apparently the only sane person involved in the story was like, can we trust this guy who eats live cats to carry military secrets? So he gave him a dummy letter. It basically said, like, please confirm receipt of this pooped letter. Thank you. Signed, General. And that was very fortunate because the Prussian army actually captured him. He had been pretending to be a German peasant, and the one flaw in that plan was that he spoke no German. So it was like that scene from Inglorious Bastards. He just stood no chance. And after a little bit of light torture, he uh, confessed. He did hold out for a while. He wanted to be a good spy. He wanted there to be a reason why God had given him this hunger, I imagine. But he eventually confessed, and he was like, I have a serious military secret, because he thought he did. And then they held him over a latrine until he pooped the military secret, which turned out to be the dummy letter saying... Please tell me whether or not this guy actually delivered this to you. And the Prussian army was very mad. And so they staged a mock execution. It's not clear whether they actually intended to hang him and then change their mind or if they just wanted to scare him. But in any case, he was not actually executed. He was beaten and sent home. And at that point, he started to beg for a cure. He was like, let's try anything. They tried tobacco pills. They tried laudanum. At one point, they even were like, what if we just feed you so many hard-boiled eggs in the morning that you can't possibly be hungry for anything else? Because, like, that's a sustainable thing. We can just get you hundreds of eggs. And he was still hungry. There was no amount of eggs that could satisfy him, even though they're a good-thinking food. They're a great-thinking food. (laughs) So he was in the hospital for a while, you know, there, like, constantly looking for a cure. He was, like, a permanent resident. And then... There started to be rumors of him getting caught in the morgue, gnawing on things, going into where people were having bloodletting treatments and just like 
taking a sip. And then a toddler went missing from the hospital. And I'm not saying that Terrar ate the toddler, but I will say that no one was willing to vouch for him not having eaten the toddler. And so he was turned out of the hospital. The doctors were all like, I won't stake my reputation on you not eating a live child. So he went off to make his own fortune again. And sadly, though maybe not sadly if he was out eating children, I don't know. In his 20s, he got very sick. He had had chronic diarrhea his whole life, which will shock you, I'm sure. He went back to one of the doctors who had treated him. And he actually said, I am dying. I know I'm dying. And I think it's because of a gold fork I swallowed once that never came out. Because I guess he had kept a, a really good record of the exit, of the non-food things he ate, which is probably a good thing to do if you're, like, eating rocks and gold forks. So he was like, yeah, that one gold fork that, that got away <laughs> in my intestine. Um, I just have so many questions. Forks are very po- pointy. Yeah, well, you know what? He had to make a living as a showman. Also, yeah. always the wooden box, like, do you think splinters were an issue? Oh, God. That, I did think about that. And I also had questions about the size of the wooden box. There was yes. no yes. information about yes. that. I imagine it was a small wooden box with, a, like, a folded-up yeah. letter in it, like a carrier pigeon-sized oh. note, I hope. Let um, us pray. <laughs> but the doctor was like, no, you're dying because you have tuberculosis. But he did really want to autopsy him because, you know, what a, what a fascinating man. What a character. And the, his corpse rotted really quickly when he died. And a lot of the surgeons were like, no, thank you. But this one doctor really wanted to know why Terrar was so different. So, and he also wanted to find that gold fork. <laughs> so <laughs> at the autopsy, they found a few things. They found that his gullet was abnormally wide. They said that when they opened his jaw, they could see straight down a broad canal into the stomach. Which is just like, I mean, th- I don't think that's why he was so hungry. That's just a consequence of having swallowed He did his stretches. Constant- yes. Yeah. Yeah, he, was, he had limbered up his gullet. <laughs> his stomach was enormous. It took up almost his whole abdominal cavity, covered in ulcers. He also had, he was, he was not in a good way. His liver and gallbladder were very large. He had... All of the internal symptoms you would expect of someone who had eaten non-food in huge quantities and humans possibly, dead humans, live toddler demons, whatever was around. They didn't come to any conclusions other than like, yeah, that was he had a weird body. He had some stuff going on. <laughs> weirdly, weirdly, there was another guy, Charles Domery, who was a contemporary. He was alive literally at the same time, and he was a Polish soldier who spawned similar tales. There were all these stories about how he just couldn't stop eating and people would do weird experiments where they would just give him a bunch of non-food and he would just be like, yeah, I'm f***ing hungry. I'll eat these candles, And the really cool thing about Charles is that he jumped ship from the Prussian army to the French army because he thought they would have more food there. He probably lived a pretty tragic life as well. There's less known about him. I hope that they were friends. I hope they got to talk about their hardship, their shared hardship. So the question is like, what's going on? Okay, so we know there are conditions where people tend to overeat. There are genetic conditions where people start to have a really intense hunger starting in childhood. But most of those people gain lots of weight. They gain the weight you would expect them to gain based on their caloric intake. There are very rare conditions where people can't store body fat at all, so they have to eat constantly to provide energy to their body because they have no energy stores. But that's very different from the way these men look and acted because it is very obvious, looking at those individuals, that they have no 
body fat. And these guys just looked pretty normal. But one clue is that both of them were said to sweat a lot and they were said to smell very bad, which is maybe because they were eating dead things all the time. But there's some evidence that they both had trouble sleeping and would like have night sweats. So they probably had some kind of hyperthyroidism, uh, which lends itself to overeating and maybe having a metabolic rate that that keeps that from making you gain weight in some cases. But we don't see anything to this extreme in modern literature at all. So, of course, it's possible that some of this was embellished. I mean, again, it was the 18th century. I can't ask. But there are a couple researchers who suggest that maybe they had injuries to their amygdala that could have changed both their metabolic rate and their patterns of eating and maybe combined with some kind of hyperthyroidism. The fact that there were two of them in such close proximity is just so fascinating to me and we'll probably never know why. I mean, I suspect that maybe one of their cases was this extreme and the other was exaggerated because there were doctors talking about this guy's extreme case. It's probably not a coincidence that they were at the same time. There were probably doctors who were trying to one-up each other. But it's fascinating stuff. So one thing about Terrar is that he did live on in public consciousness. He has a page on TV trope devoted to him. TV trope is where we talk about tropes in TV and movies. And uh, there's there's a TV trope called Horror Hunger, which is when a character is just consumed by an overwhelming hunger that, you know, changes their personality. Like Ed Hardy and Venom. Tom Hardy, I'm sorry. Ed Hardy? I always that's, do that's that. That's different. That's totally different. <sighs> He's clearly the superior Hardy. I'm really sorry to Tom Hardy that I did that. Ed Hardy's dumb. Tom Hardy is uh, at least a very attractive man. And really sold this role. He committed. And it's not a very good movie. So kudos to him. Hungry boy. I, I heard that this scene was his idea. That he, like, improv this. He just, I like, jumps into the lobster tank. I need to see this film. Yeah, so... Um, I think we just got the highlight reel. That's the trope yeah. of horror hunger, where you just can't help yourself, and Terrar is considered a prime example of that. He also is the subject of a weird opera with puppets. <laughs> and really, that's all any of us can hope for. So, R.I.P. to the hungriest boy who ever lived. And... Uh, <laughs> Those are our facts. So, Stan, would you come out and give us our applause meter again? Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Stan. <laughs> hey, Stan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can we get some applause for Stan for joining us for our Tech Avalon segment? <laughs> Thank you. All right, so what was the weirdest thing we learned this week? Was it the origin of rose-colored glasses. Was it that men swallow goldfish? Was it the hungriest boy who ever lived? Stan, what's the verdict? I think it was close. Great. Cool. Wow. I'm really glad I saved the best crown for myself. It plays noise. I'll play it for you. (gasps) (laughs) It won't stop. It won't stop now. So um, this is just my (laughs) life. 
The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week is a popular science podcast. We're available on all major podcast platforms, so subscribe wherever you're listening now. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other weirdos find the show. You can buy our merch, including Weirdest Thing t-shirts, tote bags, and mugs at popside.threadless.com. Our show is produced by all of our hosts, including me, Rachel Feltman, and our editors, Jess Bodie and Jason Letterman. Our theme music is by Billy Cannon. If you have questions, suggestions, or weird stories to share, tweet us at weirdest underscore thing. Thanks for listening, weirdos. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.